for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. Here's my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the eighth episode of NBC's This Is Us, popularly known as <laughs> Six Thanksgivings. But if you were to look it up behind the scenes at the NBC press site, they call it 18,615. Okay, so what do these two titles mean? Well, Six Thanksgivings is like the easiest softball title ever served up in the history of television. And I swear it even feels like more than six Thanksgivings were dished up this this episode. Too much turkey for my my liking. 18,615. I mean, you guys remember that that's how many strangers that um, Randall had met by the time he was 17 years old. And so that was came down to that college essay, which I want to talk about at the end because I don't want to talk about it right now. But I feel like that this episode had everything and the kitchen sink in it, Paul Daly. Good Jesus, God, could we try to hit on any more issues or any more characters? No, no. I, it really felt like a jumble. Um, and I think that the original title, the, the 18,000 number, I think that that works a lot better with the kind of the randomness and the idea that all these different things could impact one person or a story or whatever. I think it I think it ties together a lot more creatively, a lot more thought provokingly than six Thanksgivings. I a thousand percent agree with you on that because if you can look at it through that lens, then the the seemingly like jumpiness of having to run around to all these different moments in time and different people's relationships, you can funnel it down then to Randall's college essay. If you choose to look at it that way, if you just try to look at it like we're dabbling in everyone's Thanksgivings, it's like, this is giving me a headache. This is ridiculous. <laughs> why are we having to deal with everyone's Thanksgivings? This is why we don't go to everyone's house on Thanksgiving. It would be a nightmare. Terrible. It would be too much. So let's start off with Nikki and Jack in Vietnam. They are having a turkey flown in, which I thought was very nice. But the main business of this story is that this boy, this Vietnamese little boy, has cut his foot. And it turns out that Nikki is a medic, which I didn't really put together. He is called upon by Jack to come and dress the wound, clean it, dress it, make this kid feel better. What did you think about Nikki's story about, you know, having this villager basically squeal on his captain after they've all been very kind and working very cohesively together, both Vietnamese and American, and then basically they're betrayed. And then now he's he is in front of this boy with the opportunity to help him and he doesn't want to help. And Jack says he should. What do you think? Here's the deal. Nikki's argument isn't actually wrong, per se. The kid cut his foot like that because he was going over the razor wire. So what was he doing? The only reason that they that the army knows of that they're sending people over the razor wires to give supplies to the bad guys. So the idea that this kid could grow up in a couple of years, get big enough to handle a gun and be a danger to them, I think that that happened. So he was justified in his reasoning. However, since this is a TV show about feelings and stuff like that, <laughs> um, it also tells me that Nikki is very far gone from Nikki, right? So the place, Vietnam, has gotten to him in a huge way, and he's not really the Nikki that left Jack, per se. 
I guess that's the biggest reveal there is not the horror of the story that he told about the captain and the old woman and all that, but it's really just that, again, we know what's going to, we think we know what's happening with Nikki. We're not a hundred percent positive on that, but we think we know what's going to happen with Nikki and it's fatal. So it's, it's a little disparaging, I guess, to know that, that he lost himself a little bit or completely basically and, and never got the chance to kind of come back. Yeah. And I think for me, I the moment where Nikki was sitting away from the group when they were eating Thanksgiving dinner and um, the, the Vietnamese woman is walking by with and struggling with the pails of water and he does not intervene. He does not step forward and help. But Jack gets up and runs over and takes the water from the woman and instantaneously, whom we could assume is her, maybe her husband or her father. I don't know. Seems fatherly. Uh, yes. I'm, I think father immediately comes over and starts barking at her and yelling and Jack ends up having to, you know, hand the water back over. And it was like, that was not helpful at all. That little moment spoke so much to the idea of Jack intervening in situations that appear that the person needs help. And really, you just made it worse for that person. And like you had said in the previous podcast, if it does happen that Nikki was extracted from what could have been a safe place, even though he was unhappy cleaning toilets and all that kind of stuff, but it was safe. Latrines. And then he comes back and he's in Jack's camp because of things Jack did and he ends up getting killed. Then, you know, I can see how that tiny moment with the woman in the water is like, yeah, see, sometimes it's not actually better. Like you just made the situation worse. She was tired and having to carry the water, but now she's tired carrying the water and getting screamed at, you know, like that didn't actually make that any better. So this is super interesting. I We talked a little bit on Twitter with people about like who was in the right. Like, would you have cleaned up the little boy's foot? What would you have done? How would you have handled it? I can tell you that I do not feel I had a consensus with anybody. I think my own heart would be compelled to help the boy and clean his foot with a lot of stern warnings that like you need to stay away from the wire. You know, the wire is the problem kind of thing and really try to try to persuade them to to want to be, you know, with us on our side, I guess. The history books will tell you that the purview of the military in the action in Vietnam was to win hearts and minds, right? Mm -hmm. Jack seems to have taken that idea to heart with his trying to help the boy. And but you can see like Nikki and, and others are, are are hardened to the idea. They've had real life experiences, though. I mean, yeah. like, that's what yeah. I mean with his story. Like, it's not just in theory, you know, I mean, his captain who had stuck his neck out for him and helped him get the guys, you know, to to treat him well. Now he got killed because of, you know, being betrayed. So the concept of they're not just women and children was fair. You're 100 percent right. It's fair. I, I feel like it, it's one of those things where I guess it just depends on your own life experience. If you're like Nikki and you've you've already been burned, then it's understandable that you are going to be not in the frame of mind to help out anybody for that matter. On the other hand, if you're Jack, who hasn't had as many of those types of experiences or have or, you know, you had Bao who helped him get back home, those kinds of things. But it was a mixed thing. You know, like he did see that Bao was not all good. You know, like he has had some, but nothing as intense as what Nikki experienced. Then you can kind of understand why he would end up helping. Did you expect that the woman was going to give the necklace as the thank you? Well, 
the necklace had to come up at some point. No, I didn't specifically expect that. Did that make sense? Like, did that flow with the story that it would have been a big enough deal that the woman would give what looked to be like her only piece of jewelry and whatever to her? Well, to him? there's been a, a, some subcurrent of people that believe that that Jack and the Vietnamese woman are going to have some kind of tryst. I don't know that that's necessarily got to take place for Jack to still harbor some emotional weight to her after this is all said and done, you know? I, I was never thinking that, well, you know, they they had some sex and then she was like, here's a necklace. I, I didn't think it was ever that. <laughs> I do not need it to get physical either, like at all. I think that they can have a true appreciation for one another and they can care about each other without this needing to go any further. You know, mm -hmm. I think uh, given their living situation, giving everything that's going on, like, I just don't see how any of that could happen without it being super weird you know right. i mean they're like laying on like the ground and she has like a hut with her elderly father and son like i mean what where is this tryst happening come right. on right that's not like bizarro so so that kind of set us up for this entire you know feeling of gratitude this feeling of trying to be thankful and and we get into all these different thanksgiving stories so we did start off with randall and beth with a very lovely Sterling K. Brown underwear shot. Gratuitous. Completely <laughs> gratuitous. <laughs> he looked fantastic. That man is like crazy. And I swear they like put some sort of padded underwear on him because that was like nuts. He's got like, he's got like, oh, I said that's nuts. Look, that's, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. But um, like, I, I used to, he is so good looking. And I appreciated that they decided to go that way. Remember Hot Dad? Is Thanksgiving dad? I think, I think Marvel using him in the Black Panther movie was like a complete waste of a guy, oh. um, because he was he was only like a cameo basically. He was uh, he played Killmonger's dad, who he felt was the rightful king of Wakanda, but his his uh, coup didn't take basically. Yeah, I re I remember. So he was killed right away. Mm -hmm. And he was never shirtless that I recall. No, they didn't even like but, make use of I mean, that buff bod. Look at him. He looks like a superhero, Dude, right? He did. Yeah. So, I mean, he could squat he looks, a mean amount. He looks more like a superhero than uh, yeah. the other superheroes. I, I like where you're going with that. So I think they wasted him by killing a guy who could have been a pretty compelling superhero for nothing. I agree. You know I mean? Yeah, and plus he's he's got he's got everything it takes, man. He's got personality, he's got charm. He's got everything that like a a fantastic superhero really needs, you know? He's just suave. Okay, so Beth and Hottie Hot Randall uh are going to the soup kitchen to, you know, have this like political moment, if you will. What did you think about this whole J1 Beth Randall triangle of, you know, Beth thinking that again, you guys, she's an outsider as well. She really doesn't know the community. Um, setting up this very apparently a, a location that's far away from the action with the idea that she was trying to make it look like, you know, we're just here to help. This has nothing to do with a photo op, which is pretty much bullshit because then why don't you be there Wednesday night and Tuesday night and Monday night? Why are you only showing up on Thanksgiving right. if you are all about being at the soup kitchen and you don't want anyone to notice? This little blow up was inevitable, easy to script. Uh, I'm sure it was like they just needed to use their B-team writers to come up with this uh, bit of business because 
they never set any boundaries for how everybody was going to work together. And you could tell that when J1 was like, so what's your wife's title? And, I know. And and he, he was totally justified in feeling how he felt. And Beth was kind of too, because Beth deserved better than to just feel like she could make a contribution when in fact she's better off advising and, and that kind of stuff. But she, like you said, she doesn't know this thing, this field like like she does what she actually does. Right. So Randall should have boxed everybody in and said, you're doing this, you're doing that. But instead he he pulled the the only thing he could do, which was, she's my wife. I'm not going to tell her no because of you, even though, you know, I hired you to know these kinds of things. Okay. And here's why I'm calling bullshit on a whole lot of that storyline. A, I think this was ridiculous. I think that Beth is a smart intelligent, well-researched woman who would have absolutely figured out everything about where the community needs were and how to handle this. Step one. Step two, I do not believe that the two of them who already have another company together, they have RMB and they have this like whatever this little development situation with the apartment complex. To me, it seems like They've already had a working relationship for a long period of time now. It's been like a year at least, right? Mm. So then for me, I'm like, why are we acting like this is the first time Randall and Beth have had like a joint venture? They absolutely seem like the type of people who probably have done a lot of small projects together, even larger projects together, including raising kids and everything else. Why are we acting like they wouldn't know how to zig and zag together. Like, I don't, I don't, I did not like this. I felt like that Beth would have sniffed this out earlier and realized because, I mean, she said of the 300 ideas that I gave you this week, which one did you actually like? And he acted all weird. How did you not see him not implementing 300 ideas, Beth? You know, like when he didn't follow through, that's how you knew it wasn't a good idea. Like, even though they're giving Beth a plot line that will give her a chance to kind of dip down a little bit, rebuild, be better than she was before. They're underselling her her known potential already. You know what I mean? I do. She has worked with the with an underserved population. She understands city, you know, urban life. I I don't I don't know. This felt very forced to me to Like I said, the B team was like Yeah, it you just know, felt like we didn't need to go here and we didn't need to do this. So, what it did do is it displaced the Randall Beth crew and um it did have a small moment that this was felt very one-off to me to even deal with this, but with Deja where Deja had gotten the text from her mom saying happy Thanksgiving. She hesitates like the entire time. And by the end, she finally texts happy Thanksgiving back. But in the interim, she has this like moment where she envisions her own self at the soup kitchen because she's scooping out the food and she's remembering having herself receiving the food. scooped to her, right? I mean, I guess, I mean, I felt, uh, I know I really like the writers for this as us, so I don't want to be like crappy. But when you're saying the B team, that felt very like a high schooler's story, you know, where they're like, and then she remembered when she was the recipient, and now she's on the other side of the soup kitchen line. It was just like, wah, wah. I thought it would have been way more interesting if her mom showed up there. 
to actually receive food. Um, that seemed very reasonable and likely, you know, Yeah. I just, I don't know. It felt very after school special to me and, and, and for her to come full circle and then, and then send a happy Thanksgiving greeting. It was like, okay. In an episode, just chock full. I think I know, I think I know why people responded to this uh, episode the way they did. It's, it's chock full of plot. Mm -hmm. Like I compared it to some of not not in event but in structure the way that the last couple seasons of game of thrones has worked where it's just you know you may only see one character for like one scene but it advances their story where you go, oh well they're going from there to there so i had i needed to know that um but that's a very plot heavy show you know that's all plot there's a very there's a, there's a little bit of plot of character but it's mostly plot and this is the exact opposite you know it's all character almost no plot and so it's unusual to see them need to feel to cram so much shit in one episode <laughs> that they're like oh yeah we didn't serve deja you know it uh, just seemed unnecessary what about annie what's annie doing you I, know? yeah she's she's over there berating deja for serving too many cookies <laughs> right. i you know it just i don't know it was just odd i felt like it was not necessary and like you said like so some part of you is like oh okay so now deja has forgiven her mother and has moved forward. Okay. Then we better not touch on that storyline again. I am done <laughs> with Deja and her mother's relationship. And if you bothered to jam it in here with like how many other stories, like let it go, you right. know, like let it be gone, please. She signed it over, man. My God, she said happy Thanksgiving. She spent a little gobble gobble on it. Let it go. So anyway, this does displace Randall, Beth, Deja, and Annie, and leaves Kate and Toby with Tess back at the Pearsons' home. How did you feel about Kate and Toby's antics in the kitchen? You and I talk about all different kinds of things, and while we are going through all different kinds of mental states, I've mentioned depression before for myself, but you've had shots you were taking for the girls making you feel different different sure, different sure. ways and sure. just needing to talk about the way that you feel and so settle things and and i'm like a human i talk and, about the way that i feel and sort things out and that kind of shit right and, much to the chagrin of all the men in my life right so <laughs> much talking shut the fuck up <laughs> but that little conversation between those two i mean i don't want to complain through this whole episode but it was a little artificially like staged it was like it was like the kind of dialogue you'd get in a play about someone recovering from a depressive bout. I agree. That one line when he's like, it's all about small victories for me. <laughs> What's the dick? I mean, who says that? Not who to your brother-in-law. You, you, you don't. I mean, but just who says that, Paul? Honestly, have you ever heard anybody who's in their right mind who's like, it's a small victories for me? Like, nobody talks like that. It's like... Small little baby children maybe say shit that they've heard. I don't know. Maybe maybe dieters to other dieters. You I know, you guess I mean? maybe. And maybe it's coming from Overeaters Anonymous and his time spent there. I don't know. I thought this was kind of silly. I also thought that their behavior about dinner seemed weird. I mean, Toby was married before. Um, Kate is a grown-ass adult. I... Don't understand why they would have taken the most difficult route with stuff like bringing like fresh cranberries 
what are you doing? I mean, how many people in America even use fresh cranberries for their cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving? I'm going to say very few. Uh, very few. Talk to the jellied cranberry can people. I am not remembering very well. Is Toby an established bad cook? Because I kind of thought he was able-bodied in the kitchen. Yeah, no, he. I do not feel he is an established bad cook, nor do I feel that Kate is like this confusing, like twirling around in her head. I, I didn't really understand this. I really didn't. And I, I, and I kind of was like, okay. And then the fact that Toby was shocked and freaked out that Randall would have instructions available to them also makes no sense because if you don't know what you're doing, you're now freaked out that someone's left you instructions. It's like, what are you doing? I I don't know. I thought that the way that he was like, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed and everything. I thought it was all like too quick to happen. Wasn't realistic. He went from I'm awesome to I'm losing my mind in like 30 seconds. Like it all seemed very rushed and unrealistic. I just didn't go for any of it. How do you how did you think about how they wrapped up that storyline? At least that was amusing. Points to to Toby on on you know you you messed up everything so you got to come up with plan B. So you did. And I'm cool with that. I mean it's better than like some sort of like Lucille Ball, you know, go get another turkey and try oh, yeah. <laughs> try to get it going or whatever get a store bought turkey put it in the oven and fake everybody out and take it out <laughs> whatever like I agree. And actually, I, I liked that Kate pointed out that that was the most Jack Pearson thing to do, because, you know, I think a lot Blast of people who maybe barely watch the show or maybe even do think that Jack Pearson is a saint or perfect. And that's like far from the truth. It's not that it's that when things suck, he's the guy who like looks around the room and basically salvages it, you know, and makes it work. And that's what makes him like Jack Pearson magic. Okay, so that pretty much finished up our our Kate and Toby um, cooking deal, but they have this other interactions with Tess. Now, again, in this whole like, let's just throw every issue up against the wall that's humanly possible and see what sticks. We have Tess have her first period and these this like total threes company like bumping in the hall with like tampons and pads. Like I have expected it to be like they all like fly up in the air, like at the beginning of Three's Company when Chrissy has like the Q tips or whatever the shit that is that flies all over. I think Toby should have played it a different way. Tell um, me. What would well, have been better? He came downstairs and acted like he'd seen a ghost. Right. It's not a subject that a man is going to readily tackle. So he shouldn't have stayed upstairs and offered any help or anything like that. But he could have come downstairs and been like, she needs your help upstairs in, in like a red alert kind of way, not in like a, you know, I've just seen my grandfather walking around upstairs. Nothing. He acted more like scared or, or, or something. I mean, it's more like that's the wrong feeling, I think. And and he's he's had enough life experience to be like around that particular right. body function for a while. Right. So it's not... It is something that needs help right then by the right person. And you know, you're not it, <laughs> but it's not a ghost or, or something. Well, see, scary. And I appreciate that. I think that's also spoken like a guy who has two daughters and who has had to deal with stuff in the past. And so I definitely feel like that, you know, you may have a little different perspective, but I do think that I agree with you. Like it was too over the top. It was too silly. It was too whatever. I, I didn't, it didn't need to happen that way. And again, just to like add like issue upon issue upon issue issue then have kate come in and talk to her seemed fine it seemed like actually like good and like they of 
course, had to wrangle in Miguel's family because after all, we're going to go focus on Miguel's family. So now for the first time ever, we have to talk about Andy and Amber as if Miguel's family and the Pearsons ever did anything together that was never brought up. But now all of a sudden they vacationed together. Like, I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. That sounds ridiculous. But sure. That whole thing, I felt, again, it felt very after school special. It felt very like, ha, 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 ha. Like, it should have been, like, brought to you by, you know, stay free or whatever. Like, it was like, what the <laughs> frick is this? Like, this is so weird. But the coup de gras of that whole conversation is when Kate says, well, there's soon there's going to be boyfriends. And Tess says, or girlfriends. Now, this is a really important topic of a young girl figuring out that she is gay and wants to share that with a family member. Why are we jamming it in there with her first period and Thanksgivings and mom and dad are out of town? I'm like, ah, what in the hell, Paul Daly? I can't answer that. I, I think that it was, like I said, it's too much for one episode. It's too plot heavy. But at least they made Kate not a homophobe. <laughs> she was like the cool aunt. And at least there was no additional issues. Or like, That's what do you, true. Uh, That's they, true. <laughs> she didn't like try to like talk her out of it or be weird or anything. I mean, I guess it's fine. I just, for me, I guess I just take it more like, that you're just throwing too many things in there in a way that's like it makes it seem like none of it is important enough to have its own storyline that it's like well, you know all the, the Randall daughters have have uh, never been important enough to get an episode so then why in the world would she have two issues on top of another like this was so weird i don't know i didn't like it i didn't think that they gave Tess her due like that was that wasn't special enough that wasn't thoughtful enough for me. Like I, I didn't like it. And now other people might say, well, you know, it is normalizing things to, in the sense that like, it would just come out naturally or whatever. Okay. Totally cool. Totally fine. But I think that there's enough like weightiness to that topic and how Kate would handle it and, and how things that, that you, it should have been given more value. It shouldn't have been a throw in line to me. If this is us, and us is a large family with no other gay people in it, then that moment when the first one is revealed is going to be not just some trivial, like, by the way, you know, I, I like sports cars or something like that. It's going to be, it should have, it should have gotten its due, I, I think. I fully, fully, fully agree. So, um, so that pretty much like wrapped up the Kate Toby test storyline. They did end up having, you know, everybody come back for Thanksgiving. And, um, I liked that. It was kind of funny. They had Kevin on that teddy bear on the iPad. That's kind of like funny and weird. Um, it was, it was silly. I liked that the big teddy bear had the pilgrim Rick hat on that made me smile. I liked that. And, and the actual Thanksgiving, like we're going to talk about Miguel next, but the way that they welcomed Miguel in and they were instantly like grandpa, you know, and talked to him very warmly and made you realize like, you know, Annie and Tess don't know a world without Miguel as grandpa and all this stuff. So to us, he always seems always like brand spanking new, but he's not, you know, he's been a part of this family for a long time and, um, you know, he's well established. So let's go back to his first family and the mess that Miguel was into there. 
So Miguel's story really starts at like the 1997 Thanksgiving where Miguel's going to come over to the Pearsons oh, because and he they have this whole yeah. conversation about Andy and Amber. Again, never did I know their names, but today we're going to hear it 25 times. Um, and, you know, Miguel comes like bopping right into the Pearsons Thanksgiving, who shockingly are having like a pretty calm you know, jovial interaction between each other. Miguel just like throws a wet blanket over the whole thing, bitching at his ex-wife. You were like, do they even have cell phones that small right then? And we had to like look it up. Be like, well, I guess technically they probably did. It just um, seemed like, I don't know that Miguel would have it. It just didn't. I mean, he's not like on Wall Street or something. I don't well, know. Well, but he's a, he's, a sing, he's a divorced dad now. So he's got to be more, I guess, available. I guess. And so what we found out, though, is that, you know, Amber and Andy and Shelly are really not interested in Miguel's ways. Now, again, though, if you guys remember, Miguel was horsing around with women at work like he was not he was not on the straight and narrow. And Jack doesn't really even try to act like he was. He was like, well, you could have had a better work life balance. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and he tries to give him that pep talk about like, look at you, a kid from Puerto Rico learning how to golf. I don't know. I it seemed kind of hollow and a little bit like, well, you 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 work hard in other ways. You know, you've been a bad dad, but you've worked hard in other ways. It's the best Jack could do on short notice. <laughs> I thought that the most important line, of course, that came from it is you don't want to be 65 and not know your grandkids because that was like the dun, dun, dun. Because, of course, later on, we have um, Miguel and Beck head on over to Andy and Amber's Thanksgiving, which was a shit show. <laughs> and guess who doesn't know his grandkid? Right. And so were the the brother and sister were sitting across from yes Rebecca and Miguel mm -hmm. and you couldn't even there wasn't really even a shot where you could see their spouses you right? only saw well Connor was Amber's husband he's Mister Nut Allergy okay. but he was sitting like you know diagonally by three people across from Amber which seemed a little mm. um and uh and no I don't think I ever saw Andy's wife if she was there I didn't see her it, So what do you think about these jerk children It made you wonder if he just invited himself that year or something because uh it was super uncomfortable but I was way proud of Miguel cuz Miguel has been a character who stoically taken a lot of shit from all different kinds of characters uh, as, as, a, as old Miguel, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he's just been like, well, I'm here for the, I'm here for Rebecca. So, you know, I'll, 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 I'll stand up. I'm not going to just, just melt away, but I'm not going to go and poke fingers and chests or anything like that. And so, but this is his own goddamn kid. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and that was like such an attack. I mean, my God. I yeah. mean, Andy was being super rude the whole time. And it was very obvious that Miguel was was not in the loop. Um, I, again, thought it was too many layers to have Amber have just adopted this little boy who appeared to be, I don't I don't know what is, but an Asian background. He's which, recovering from crack. I, um, I know. It was like, what are you What are you doing? The only reason why I mentioned the Asian background is because I swear if they tie it back into Vietnam somehow and be like, what are you doing? Like, and he is the child of that boy with a hurt foot. Like, what? Mm. I mean, seriously. Well, that's how this stuff works, you know? So, I don't know. I thought that it, that was too 
too much of a layer. And then Andy was a dick the whole time. But when he said that straight online, like, what do you first you see all our father and now you're trying to kill my brother-in-law? Come on. That's I mean, so stupid. There is no like who, uh, who is not going to stand up for their wife at that point. Jesus. That was just so stupid, though. I mean, like like the dummy needed the timeline of the whole thing explained to him like he'd never even thought about it for a second you know steal steal away from our mom whatever no were you not there (laughs) bro i mean i mean i i thought that bit of family history would have been well explained by mom how about this paul shelly is supposedly rebecca's best friend right yeah now i believe i bet that's probably uh, worn off by this stage in their relationship right well, no, she says, I feel like I'm being, I'm betraying my best friend because I'm having Miguel at dinner. So no, it didn't seem like that was a thing. No, I mean like old, old Rebecca. Oh, you mean like it's now with cut Andy. Probably ties and, with uh, well, okay. Scheller there. Totally true. But I don't, but I don't want to confuse what I'm, what I'm trying to remember here. What I was going to say is that when Jack died, Shelly and Beck were friends. Mm. So what are you talking about? Amber and Andy would have been like 17 and 15 when Jack died. What are you talking about that you didn't know who Jack was? Even In fact, Andy would have been older because according to Kate's story, wasn't he older than Kate with the whole period story? He was the hot lifeguard and she was only like 11 or 12 with like her sheets. So I'm sorry, he was what, 20 when Jack died? And he's claiming that, right. yeah, I mean, come on, you guys, this storyline the timeline does not work for me at all. There's no way. Andy was not a little kid. He didn't forget about Jack dying. Miguel wasn't with them the whole time. I mean, they grew their whole family. I, this is just so silly. I'm glad they gave Miguel a moment. I am glad too. And I'm glad uh, he spoke up for Rebecca. And I liked how Rebecca was like, what's the score? And just tried to carry on, you know, stiff upper lip, keep going. Uh, but I mean, they could have gotten him his moment without such a stupid setup. I just think they should have stayed more factual. Andy's line makes no sense. I mean, ori- you know? the original offense was cheating on his mom and that could be an open gaping wound and a jackass. So, or any person that doesn't even have to be a jackass. Right. Uh, I mean, why uh, he could have brought that up. I don't know. I mean, I, it just it, felt is very it that it had to be about silly. Rebecca. In order to make it hurt worse? Well, yeah. I mean, I think he was trying to be rude to her directly, but it just didn't make sense. I mean, the whole thing doesn't make sense. I mean, if you guys are listening and you're like, no, it totally made sense to me. Andy would have been whatever age. It, it doesn't make sense. I mean, they. I cannot believe they wouldn't have attended that funeral. I feel like if we go back and watch Jack's funeral, I feel like you can see Shelly in it. If I'm remembering correctly, it was very fast. So it was bit, very fast, but it was from like an old, old, old one when they just have the picture of Jack. Uh, this was a long time before, not the actual funeral, but a time when they give us a clip way before. Okay. And you just saw a picture on an easel. I swear to God, because Shelly has very blonde hair and is very noticeable. So I was just sort of like, oh boy, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. I, I appreciated that Miguel got this nice closure when they said, well, you at least have the Pearsons. And he's like, yeah, I do. And then he goes there and, and Andy's sort of like, grandpa. Like that was very sweet. Was very Hallmark. Movie of the week, however, don't exactly love that. But I do feel like Miguel did get a lot of, you know, backing in this storyline. Yeah, it's too bad that it needed to be in such a 
what kind of episode? <laughs> <laughs> so odd. Okay, we got to throw on one more. <laughs> William. I love me some William. Okay. I love him. I love the actor. I love what he brings every time he comes on the screen. This was bonkers to bring William's story in with meeting Jesse in the middle of all the shenanigans we just talked to you about. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to meet these two birds falling in love. It was so lost on me because of all the other crap going on. Mm -hmm. And again, you could have had Tessa's storyline and William and Jesse's storyline be one episode. Because you said there's no other gay characters. You're dead wrong. William is bisexual. You're right. You got me. And so you could have had some sort of something where you talked about how families dealt with it at different stages of the game. William's a much older man. This is a much different time. How do different families feel about it? Remember how Randall first acted when he found out William was gay versus how is he going to act when he finds out his daughter is gay? There's a lot of cool information there that could have been you know, shown to us that I just felt like it was like, what are you doing? Why did you just jam William in here? That would have been a much more artfully crafted episode if you would have had those two story beats be the main story of an episode. And I think worth it. Like, I think worth it. Those characters and and that particular um, family challenge of like at different ages and different stages, how different people choose to come out, how people are accepted or not, how people um, you know choose to respond. There's a lot of really interesting information that could have been you know, given between those characters that I'm like, I just don't. You I could don't have understand. had where she did have the first period with, with Kate, right? Mm-hmm, and they right. manage all that. And then that keeps for, let's say, a couple of months and Randall and Beth are like, so did you ever give the talk? I didn't give the talk. And they're like, well, I guess we got to give the talk. And in the, in, the, in the giving of the talk, and they're talking about boys, of course, of course, that's when it would have come up. I think that would have been very natural and very much more like we're giving all of these different characters and these different concerns that different characters have their due. I'm a little concerned, frankly, about the show as a whole that they are, I feel like we're rushing. I feel like we're rushing every storyline. And then at the same time, this is going to sound very odd. The pace feels slow. Mm. So like IVF like happened in 30 seconds and like all Mm -hmm. of a sudden she's pregnant and we're over and then, and then Toby was off his meds and in withdrawal, but now he's recovering and it all happens in like a blink of an eye. And yet there's something tedious about how some of these stories are playing out. Like Vietnam, it it feels like there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen and also feels like we've been in Vietnam a long time. You know, is it not been eight episodes? We've been in Vietnam at various points. It just feels like there's something weird, like this weird mix of rushed and tedious that's feeling like, what are you guys doing? Why isn't the writing feeling more... It feels off pace. That's the best way I can say it. And and I feel like the Tess, William, Jesse little moment there, that is just like one of the best little snippets for me to say like, that was handled rushed. You did it wrong. That yeah. wasn't right to yeah. just do that. Deja texting with her mom, fucking tedious. Let it go. My God, <laughs> let it go. We have spent our time with that particular storyline. Let it go. You know? It's, yeah, it's too soon to bring... Deja's mom. It's just too 
back into our concern. It's just too much. I just, I don't know. I'm over it. Totally over it. So the the last little snippet here that we need to talk about is this college essay. And this is the ultimate, ultimate, like have to wrap it up with a bow, right? Mm-hmm. So this concept that Randall has to write a college essay and it's about who's the most impactful person in your life. And he comes up with this very eloquent and very hit you over the head so hard about how all these different people in your life have affected you in all these different ways. And even with the mathematics of how many strangers you meet in a day and all this stuff, to me, I get it. I understand the idea that an acquaintance can have just as much impact on your life as somebody who you've had in your life for 20 years. I think that's true. There's actually people in our lives that have crossed our paths for all of an airplane ride that I feel like in those conversations, something that they said stuck with me, Okay, you know, and yet I never saw them again. And I n- don't even remember their name. There's other people in my life who have been in it for 41 years who, frankly, <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've been in the same room 150 times, but really, you know, they're not impacting my life in the same way, you know? Sure. So I get the concept. <sighs> Again, I just felt like it was heavy handed. I felt like it was very like they have to spell it out for us. I don't know. What did you feel like? Where in the previous two seasons, the flashback portions of a given episode have been random, right? Where, you know, you've had the teens, you've had the kids, you've had the time before the kids were born. You've had all these different eras, right? Where we showed them, but it was all out of sequence and it was understood that it was out of sequence, right? Mm -hmm. This season, they have gone in large patches, very much in sequence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the last time we saw the teens this season, they'd already gotten into college, right? He was mm. he was deciding amongst colleges. Yeah, good call on that. He was turning down Howard, right? Right. So it's not like they broke their own rule. I mean, their own rule was to be random. It's just that this season, they weren't being random. They were being very sequential. And so this took me a minute to be like, when is this? Because it was like, it was obviously the last Thanksgiving that Jack was alive. Right. And Um, they said that awkwardly. Yeah. They needed to (laughs) for people like me to be like, wait a second. Right. Because it didn't, my mental picture of the of the season was taking a, a while to come into focus for the, for where this was. So, know? okay, let me ask you this. Or did enough of the plot line come from that 97 Thanksgiving with Miguel coming in and obvious duress with Amber and Andy with the the sort of it wasn't like complimentary story that Jack had to tell about basically like you're a good guy because you learned how to golf. He couldn't say you're a good guy because of all those times you showed up at the school play or, you know, at swim lessons or whatever. Like he didn't have any examples like that. He had to basically say, remember when you learned golf and then you and then you was more like you're capable of working hard for things that you want. You want this. So I I like what you're saying and you're 100 percent correct. I'm absolutely being blase about it because I feel like. I don't know that I needed that conversation because the the what happens after that is that Miguel has no relationship with Amber and Andy. And we see them all these years later still with a completely broken relationship and he's 65 years old. So my kind of like mm, is like, did we have to have that pep talk for Miguel to fall apart and have no relationship and and then have Miguel actually 
review with us at the table. I sent you presents. You didn't respond to me. I called you. Finally, I got tired of calling. Like we had the review. Like he capsulated it at the table with Andy. Did we have to see him have an argument with Shelly at Thanksgiving and have that talk? Do you know what I mean? Like, was it actually necessary? And did it further anything about the plot, really? Or did it just add to some confusion, like you said? If if you had any gray area, I guess, about Miguel and his, his children, this definitely filled in all the gaps, right? Yes. Too bad it's about Miguel. I mean, it's I mean, it's not that Miguel's a bad character or a bad guy. It's just he's very side. You know, he's very much a side character. So, Well, I mean, I think that we had to maybe again, maybe there's people who missed because it was kind of a small storyline when Randall was going through everything when Tess was born and the small storyline as a part of that episode was Beth helping Rebecca get on Facebook, and that's when she found Miguel, and you made the connection that it was all these years later and all that, you realized. It was a small moment. So I'm not sure if we're having to have those reviews where like he spells it all out to Andy again with the timeline and everything. Are we doing that for viewers who might have just picked up in season three? Could be. And who maybe binge watched or didn't even catch seasons one and two? Or is that why we're doing it? Cause Well, I mean, uh, this is a this is a pretty dense show. I mean, you and I watch it uh pretty in depth and, and you've been you've corrected me two or three times tonight about little facts that I've that I've should have known but missed, right? Lovingly. That goes without saying. But we know from coexisting in fandoms of all types, that not all viewers watch quite as detailed as, as we do. That's absolutely true. And of course, this is the type of show that, I mean, I, I know I know my own like siblings and stuff like wait and binge it and, you know, turn it on in the background kind of thing, you know, do other stuff and watch it and stuff because it is very good TV, but it's also not like, like you said, so detail oriented that you're like, is she wearing an orange dress? Like, right. It's not a mystery, you know, yeah. at this point, which is weird. Because in many ways, like that whole thing about the like, it's time to go see her. Remember, that's supposed to be like a, a heavy mystery. Fogelman was saying it'd be clear by now. I think that's crazy. <laughs> Is, did he say by mid-season we would figure it out or yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Like oh, the, the kind of way showrunners do when geez. they think they've made something just super obvious. and Maybe they edited something or did something bonkers. I don't know. Is it Deja's mom? Don't be Deja's mom. I, you know, there's always this winter's break right right so maybe 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 that will be our send-off was the big fat clue on on what that is because we've we've seen the other flash forwards all in all i mean i thought that there were there were moments in the plot here that did move things forward jack got the necklace around his neck um i think randall and beth's uh partnership is blown i think that toby and kate realize like they can handle things and they can do good stuff Clearly, Tess's story is hopefully beginning, and hopefully that's going to be given a lot more um, spotlight with Randall and Beth. And I look forward to seeing them be a supportive, nurturing family with her. And And I'm interested to see, like, how are they going to play that out? Like, is anybody going to be a hitch? Anybody? Like, will anybody have, like, a moment where they question this or give any pushback at all? Or is 100% of the Pearson family going to be 100% on board? And, you know, that'll just be interesting to find out. I do not give a hoot anymore about Deja. I don't care what she's doing. Go to school, make good grades, come home, make everyone proud, like knock it off. 
William and Jesse, I always welcome them back. They are good guys who have really interesting storylines and a walk of life that I'm very unfamiliar with and they handle so carefully. They show Jesse's side with drugs in a way that is very understandable for something that is very outside my everyday norm. When he describes his road to drugs and how basically, you know, it started... I worked to make the money for the for the drugs and then the drugs cost too much for the job, you know, like cost me the job. It was all like, I get this. I get these two. They handle them with such care and grace that I always enjoy those characters um, storylines. Miguel, you know, the guy needed to be propped up. You know, there are people who have, who have Miguel effigies still <laughs> who are convinced that like he lit the fire. <laughs> you know, he right. he somehow had the faulty crockpot right. handed over to the elderly people and and that old couple were just shills in his diabolical plan to get Rebecca at like 50. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> right. what age she was. So, yeah. yeah, who knows? But thoughts, Mr. Daly? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down? What do you give this? So I watched this on DVR, and but I had seen uh, on a little bit of my Twitter feed that people were like, worst episode ever. And I don't, I mean, maybe of of this show it, it it might be the worst episode of the of the run that doesn't make it i mean i've seen some bad tv in my time and i don't know that it's competing with that kind of thing it's just that the bar that they've set for themselves is higher than something so choppy and kind of ambiguous in, in what they're trying to what they're trying to do i mean they made it like we said with the title the 18000 would have tied it together whereas the 6 Thanksgivings makes it sound like nope. This is just six six separate things happening that are unrelated to each other, you know. And that's that's that was a missed opportunity, I think. I agree. Well, thanks so much, you guys, for listening. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website dailyreview.com. That's d a l e y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.